This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Good morning. It is my favorite day of the month, Senior Living Truth Series Day. And this is probably by far one of my favorite topics and we like to sometimes start the year off with this topic Um, we didn't this last year in fact i looked back at the last time we did the topic the truth about living to 100 we did it in december of 2019 and so um so we haven't done this one in a while and i hope to today bring you some new material about this particular topic so thanks for coming Um, happy new year Happy January, and uh, truthfully, happy, happy, happy that the vaccine is coming out. For those of you who have been waiting on that, I know that this week is a really important week, um, and then the days going forward. So um, that's being said, with people beginning to get the vaccine, with people gathering again, we are going to be going back live um, in person at the Quail Creek Golf and Country Club next month. So for those of you who are waiting to get back in, into kind of the group gatherings, we're gonna be doing that. For those of you who are not quite ready, we understand we will still be doing the virtual um, method like we are now uh, as of February as well. So you can do both. You can either come live uh, to the event in person or you can watch it on video. So either way is great. And um, we're just glad to have you here and we're glad to be back uh, after the new year. So a uh, couple of little things that I just want to uh, chat with you about. Um, first seminar of the year. And so you'll notice some things that are a little bit different. And one of them is our sponsorship group. Um, We are absolutely thrilled to have some of our sponsors back this year, including Spanish Cove, Concordia, Bradford Village, Arvest, um, of course, Buckley Realty Group and OKC Mature Moves and Villages OKC. Um, I, you know, these guys uh, actually have all been around since really the very beginning. Um, This is our, is this our sixth year, Chris? Sixth year. And we um, have been so blessed to have their support um, each and every year. Now, you may be wondering, well, why do we have some people that didn't come back? And um, why do we have fewer sponsors? So I want to just give those of you who have been around a long time, have been attending our seminars for a very long time, I just want to give you a little insight into that. For those of you who are new, it won't make any difference. But um, for those of you who are curious, there are basically three reasons um, that, you know, folks either are sponsors again or not. So here are the three reasons. The first reason is frankly, when we called people and said, hey, do you want to come back and sponsor again? They said, you know what? We are slammed. We are so busy business-wise right now that we just can't commit 90 minutes um, out of the month to be there for the events. And so they opted to not be a part of it. It doesn't doesn't mean anything about them professionally. We still love them. We'll still refer to them. We still think a lot of them. Um, They just can't be here for the events. So they chose not to sponsor. Uh, The other reason is, as you all know, we have very high standards for our sponsors and some of the sponsors didn't make the cut. Um, We had some people ask to be sponsors who didn't make the cut and that's okay too. Um, And, you know, that's not something that uh, not necessarily uh, uh, 
it's not necessarily a, I'm not trying to discredit them. I'm just saying that there are certain things that we ask as sponsors that they weren't able to uh, meet. So they weren't, they weren't invited back. The third reason, um, which is really interesting, is that, um, as you can imagine, a lot of people, because of COVID, have had to make some adjustments in their budgets. And so a lot of budgets have been cut and they had to make some decisions. And so they just weren't able to make a financial contribution as a sponsor this coming year. So that being said, um, there's one kind of additional thing that I think really had to do with what we see 2021 representing. And that is we're going back to our original mission and vision for what the Truth Series really started out as, which is about senior living. Um, we've kind of, over the last couple of years, offered lots of other topics, um, everything from healthcare to um, technology. We've done some really like uh, out there topics for me personally, because that's out of my expertise, which have been fun to do. But we're really getting back to the housing issue. And we had a lot of our attendees ask us last year why we didn't do more seminars on the downsizing topics. And it was just, you can only do so many uh, a year. And we elected to kind of be a little more diverse in the last couple years. So we are getting back to our foundation, which is where you live, how you live, whether you're living at home, in a senior community, whether you're looking to make a change or not. But we're looking at all of those things that go into that. We're, we're gonna look at it from the financial aspect, from the environmental aspect, from uh, the support, um, part of that. So we're going to look at it from all angles, but it will be primarily about your environment, where you live and how you live. So our sponsors, as you can see, all play a really critical role in that. And so that is why it's important to have them as a part of the group because they're going to help us educate you just as much as Chris and I and our team are going to be a part of that. So I uh, just wanted to give you that. And then I, I would be remiss uh, if I didn't just really give a shout out to the team because um, as you all know, it takes a lot to put these events on, even virtually. And so we have our group that uh, is part of our Buckley Realty Group and OKC Mature Moves. And they are all, every single month, involved in this. And I just want to thank them and appreciate them, even though you may not get to see them in person until next month. I wanted you to put a name with a face. Um, Lori, Jim, Naomi, Shannon, and then, of course, myself and Chris, um, always. So thank you guys for, for all of your support. Okay, that's it for housekeeping. So let's dive into content. Those of you who showed up today on this call wondering what could Nikki possibly present that's new as it relates to living to be 100. And um, don't laugh, but I struggle with narrowing it down to, you know, 30 to 90 minutes of, of material. And it's hard to do because there's so much to talk about. So we're going to start first by talking about what does it mean to live to be 100 in terms of statistics? Because, okay, when we did the December 2019 talk, uh, one of the first things I did, because we had about 100 people in the room, and uh, it, it was a lively audience, as I recall, because it, it was, it was uh, December, and it, we were having a lot of fun, and I did lots and lots of like surveys, polls, where I had people raise their hand. 
And one of the, the questions was, how many people want to live to be 100? And a, we counted, I believe, 12 to 15 people raised their hand out of a group of 100, which is interesting. And then we asked how many people knew someone who had lived to be 100, or who knew someone who was currently 100 who was living. And there was a, a number of hands that went up. And then the third question was how many people have known someone in their life who has lived to be 100, whether they've passed or not. And many hands were raised. And yet it was just so interesting to me when people say they don't want to live to be 100. And yet people are uh, definitely headed that direction, if you will. So if you look at the statistics, right, you have a slide there. For those of you who are listening in by phone, I'm just going to give you what those statistics say. Um, there are currently about a little over a half million or uh, nearly 600,000 actually worldwide who have made it to the age of 100 or more. Um, now that's worldwide and those statistics are actually um, from uh, the most recent statistics from Statistica. Now from the Oklahoma standpoint, You've got um, the, the 2016 data, which we should have newer updated census data coming up soon. There are 82,000 centenarians from 2016 and somewhere around 92,000 currently. Now, if you're looking at the slide, I want you to look at the trajectory, right, of that, of that increase, the exponential increase in numbers uh, all the way through the year 2060 is what they have there. Um, they are expecting to have somewhere around 589,000 people age 100 or older from the year, uh, beginning in the year 2060, 2060. That's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people. And uh, it was funny because I told Caitlin yesterday when we talked about uh, those people who wanted to live to 100 and those who didn't uh, at the 2019 seminar, I said it was actually pretty funny because uh, we talked about, well, if you don't want to live to be 100, here are some things you can do. <laughs> and, and the audience laughed, but I guess the question is what's the alternative, right? And the alternative really is to live the very best life that we can live regardless of how long we live, right? But the reason I bring this topic up um, and the reason that it has just really been important is, as you can imagine, as real estate agents, right, we go out and we meet people uh, regularly who are thinking about downsizing. And I'll talk to them and they'll say, well, we're not ready yet. And I often ask, well, when are you going to be ready? What do you think that looks like for you? What is your timeline? And they'll say, well, you know, when I need to move, I will. And then sometimes I'll go back and talk to people later, maybe the same people or different people, and I'll say, and they'll say, well, we really need to move, but now we can't <laughs> because they don't feel like they're up to it. Or they'll say, there's really no point because I'm not going to live that much longer. Now, I don't have the article uh, in my hand, so I can't really quote it, but I'm going to give you a kind of a, a synopsis of an article that I recently um, read, 
by the author of the book, uh, Aging in the Right Place, Dr. Stephen Gallant. And he, is, um, he was a professor down at the uh, University of Florida. He wrote this textbook, which was part of my doctoral program. That's how I got to know his work. And um, he did a, 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 an article on a theory that a lot of people choose not to move from their current house depending upon what they perceive their life expectancy to be. So if they're, let's say they're 80 and they think they're gonna die at 85, they go, is it worth it for me to make any changes? And, and I would say any changes, not just moving, but any changes, is the payoff, is the payoff worth it? I'll give you an example. My dad, you guys have heard me talk about my dad a lot. Bless his heart. If he knew how many stories I have told about him. So he, uh, he has COPD. Um, he, is, uh, he is really struggling with breathing. He is on oxygen and he continues to smoke. And my dad's theory and my dad's kind of philosophy is why stop now? Right? Because it's harder to stop smoking and the payoff isn't that great for him. So he just continues to do it. And so what I like to bring to light or shed some light on for people is that there is a very high likelihood that you will live to be 100 whether you like it or not. Now I'm gonna say that again. You may live to be 100 whether you like it or not. And so for those of you who are saying, I don't, I don't wanna live to be 100, uh, that's a different conversation. There's also some statistics that you need to know about, and we're going to talk about those at the end of the talk, related to people who have lived into their 80s fairly disease-free, right? Overall healthy. And that'll be an interesting thing for you to hear. But I'm going to hold that thought until we get through a couple more slides here. Okay, so for those of you who aren't sure um, if you're going to live to be 100, let's just plan on it. Okay, let's use the statistics that we have and let's just kind of plan just in case. Here are a couple more things to know. Uh, currently, as I said, there's about 72,000 or more, uh, maybe closer to the 90,000 number in the U.S. who are over 100. About 30% of those, now that's an old statistic, so we'll have to see what the new ones look like, live alone in their own residence. Now that's interesting because a lot of people think that if someone is 100 or more, they automatically are going to be living in a nursing home and or a long-term care community, and that's not necessarily true. And uh, because only a very small percentage of them do. Now, a lot of people may live with someone else, uh, they may live in a, say, an independent senior living community. So let me, and let me distinguish between the two. When the statistics come out, when they say long-term care or nursing community, what they mean is truly health care. So what we would call historically nursing care, okay? There are plenty of people 100 and older living in, say, assisted living, which is independent living with some support, or true independent living, which is independent living congregate style, like Spanish Cove and Bradford Village and Concordia have, where you have meals and transportation and some support provided to you, but no health care at that level, right? 
And there are plenty of people in their hundreds and beyond living in that environment because they get the help they need, but they can still be independent. Just a very, very small proportion of people in that age group live in the long-term care setting. Okay, so remember uh, those of you who did come to the December 19, 2019 talk, you will remember me mentioning the Hendersons. For those of you who don't know the Hendersons, meet the Hendersons. This picture was taken uh, early last year, I believe. Um, Mr. Henderson has since passed away. He passed away in October of 2020 at 107 years old. Um, at 107 and 105, they celebrated the, their 80th wedding anniversary. In independent living at Longhorn Village in Austin, Texas, uh, CCRC there, much like the three communities that are our sponsors. And they moved there uh, a little over 10 years ago. Uh, I actually found this out after we talked last time. They were the very first residents to move in to Longhorn Village when it was built. Um, Chris and I were living in Austin at the time and we helped some folks move into uh, Longhorn Village and it's a beautiful, beautiful CCRC community out uh, kind of on the outskirts of Austin towards the hill country. Um, you know, they are, they are longtime UT fans. He was a Longhorn uh, athlete. And so it made sense for them because that CCRC was associated with the university. But imagine them in their mid-90s uh, deciding to go ahead and make that change. And now they have the support they needed and they lived into their early 100s, 107, 105 um, she still lives there, um, is still uh, in independent living as far as I know. And there's actually an interview, if you're interested in their story, you can Google them. Uh, you can Google uh, John and Charlotte Henderson, uh, 80 years married probably, and that's your best way to, to find them. And there's YouTube videos and there's some news footage. They had some stories done. They were actually in, uh, included in the Guinness Book of World Records. I think it was 2017 that that happened as the world, not U.S., but the world's oldest living couple, oldest living couple. And uh, it had previously been a Norwegian couple and then a Japanese couple. And then their nephew uh, had done a little research and he, uh, he submitted them and they were uh, chosen or I guess selected. Um, statistically as that couple. So that's pretty cool. Um, and the reason I bring them up is because until his very last year uh, in, uh, in, of life, they were very active and he was you know, out and about. He was not in a bed. He was not um, bedridden. He was not um, in nursing care per se. And I think that perception sometimes is what we conjure up when we think of living to 100. So let's talk about other perceptions that um, tend to be common with those who are thinking about this concept of living to 100. There are about um, 10 of them, and I have these on two different slides. So this first slide, uh, the top 10 fears, this is the first five, and these are in no particular order. The fear could be different for one person than another, but these are the most common ones. You may not have any of these. You may have all of these fears at any age, by the way, no matter who you are. One is death. 
Um, it, people do fear the unknown. What happens when I die? Um, those people who are generally uh, faith-based, very spiritual, don't necessarily have this fear, um, but some do. Uh, the second one is living in a nursing community. I mentioned that, and that is actually, if I had to label them as priorities or the top fear, that is really the one I hear the most. I don't want to live in a nursing home. Then the third one, outliving a spouse or partner uh, or all of your family. Uh, people don't want to be left alone. Um, when you reach 100, if your family members didn't do as well as you, then you, know, you may be the last surviving um, person in your family. Speaking of the Hendersons uh, that I just talked about, when they asked them what they attributed to their longevity, they, they laughingly said, we didn't have children. <laughs> and there may be something to that. I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's too late for me. I have to, so I have to deal with that fact, right? Uh, those of you who have five or six kids, I, I don't know if that shortens your lifespan or not. We'll see. The, uh, the fourth one is dementia, uh, it's specifically Alzheimer's. While there are lots of different dementias, I think the one people say they fear the most is Alzheimer's because of the physical decline that accompanies Alzheimer's, um, can, can accompany Alzheimer's in the end. But uh, obviously, that is something that they're working on, um, but yet not been cured, right? So we have to face that reality. And then the, the fifth one on here is disability. Um, that could be stroke, that could be having a disease of any kind, it could be your uh, limbs failing, it could be a lot of things, so disability. Uh, the next 10, or the next five rather, topping off the list, uh, includes outliving your money. Uh, that's a really high one on people's radar. Um, am I going to be able to survive on the amount of money I have through 100 or 100 plus? And I can't answer that question. I know who can. Um, you know, that's one of the things I love. I'll just do a quick plug for Arvest is if that's a fear someone has, they can plug your financial situation into a computer these days and literally determine how long that money will last you based on a variety of variables, right? So your living expenses, your current investments, um, your, your long-term care insurance if you have it and that kind of thing are all variables. And what they'll do is they'll just say, hey, look, based on what you've got here, um, you're gonna be okay. Like you're, you've got plenty as long as something significant doesn't happen you're okay. Or they may say, you know, this is, these are the things that you got to be careful about. So they can give you some guidance and they, they do that as a community service, which I think is absolutely amazing um, that they do that. And, you know, a lot of local banks and people that uh, are out there, they care about the community. They want to offer that as a service. Your financial planner, I suppose, could do that too. Um, so, but whoever you're most comfortable with. Uh, gosh, number seven, being a burden on others. Um, when I did my dissertation uh, a couple years, finished it up, and uh, was interviewing these couples about having moved into a CCRC, it was interesting to me how important that was to their decision-making process. They did not want their kids to have to take care of them. And so they made a decision to move based uh, in large part 
to that desire to not be what they called a burden on others. Now, adult children may not think it's a burden, but if we think it's a burden, then it's definitely a fear that we might, that we might have. Um, if you don't have children, then uh, it may be that you feel like you don't want to be a burden on your neighbors, your friends, um, your church family. And so, again, that's a fear people have of aging. Uh, number eight, loss of independence or control. I don't really think this is one that people lay in bed and think about. Like, it's not one that they go, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want to live to be 100 because I may not be independent anymore. I don't think they do that. I think that's a uh, unconscious realization and it has a lot to do with the fact that we've seen other people in our lives become disabled or, or incapable of taking care of themselves so therefore we automatically kind of assert that um, into our, our thinking. Then the ninth one is how I'll be remembered. Um, you know, legacy is a big thing. As we get older, we reach uh, the end of our lives or what we perceive to be the end of our lives, and we wonder how I'll be remembered. Uh, these folks that they interview that are centenarians, uh, it's interesting. how It's almost like they've gone over that point. Like, they're no longer concerned with how they're going to be remembered. They're just going to tell you whatever they want, and whatever you take is up to you. <laughs> It's like they don't care anymore, but there is a period where when we think about living to be 100, how am I going to be remembered? Am I going to be remembered as a vibrant, active person, and that's my mental perception, or am I going to be remembered as a frail old person? So whether we like it or not, it's a fear, right? Whether it's real or not, it can be a fear. And then the last one is closure or repentance. Um, there are people who have some unfinished business out there, uh, possibly, or some regrets, um, some things in their life they're not particularly proud of. Uh, but people want to make sure that, you know, gosh, if I'm going to live that long, um, am I going to be able to take care of these things? And so those are some fears that people have as they, as they reach that higher age bracket, whether it's 100 or whatever age it might be. I found this quote. It was kind of fun. I wanted to share with you. <laughs> um, you spend eight, uh, sorry, 90% of your adult life hoping for a long rest, and the last 10% trying to convince the Lord that you're actually not that tired, right? Isn't that interesting? I love that little, little dog with his tongue hanging out. Okay. Let's switch gears slightly from fears, which are kind of the internal dialogue that people have uh, about getting older or about reaching 100 in this case. And let's talk about what some of the universal issues are that are real. These are real issues. Whether you're fearful of them or not, we're going to bring them to your attention. Now, you may say, Nikki, why are you doing this? Why? I wasn't scared of this before. <laughs> Why now do you bring this up? Because now I'm worried about it. Well, that's what the Truth Series is all about. It's really about bringing to light the things that challenge people that they don't realize are going to challenge them. And um, these aren't hard to foresee. Uh, most of us will go, well, yeah, well, yeah, I get that. It'll validate some of the things you already knew. But the question is, have you really thought them through as they pertain to you? Now, let me just say this. People have a tendency to go, that may affect other people. 
but they sometimes think that it's not going to affect them. So I want you to just take a moment today and ask yourself as we go through these different ones, how are these going to affect me? So these are the first five, okay? And I'm gonna go through these um, uh, a little, oh, sorry, four, there's eight of them, uh, four per slide. So the transportation needs, healthcare advocacy, financial exploitation, physical abuse or neglect, and then we're gonna talk about isolation and loneliness, access to services, affordable, accessible housing, and cost of care, okay? So for those of you listening in by phone, that's the, the list of eight that we're gonna talk about. So if you're taking notes, uh, we're gonna go through these one at a time. All right, transportation. Uh, I put that one at the top of the list probably because it seems to be affecting me lately. Um, I see more and more people driving uh, on May Avenue that I wonder sometimes if they really know where they are or where they're going. Now, I hate to say that, but we've all seen it. We all know it happens. And the question is, should I be driving or not? And there becomes a point where the answer is not. Now, that's hard enough in and of itself, and some people make that choice on their own, others that choice is made for them, but what happens when you don't drive anymore? That's the question. How do you get around? Uh, one of our earliest clients, uh, years and years and years ago now, uh, probably 20 years ago, was a woman on the south side of Oklahoma City. She lived in a really small little house. I, it was just, it was quaint and she moved into a senior living community because she and her brother had lived together their entire adult lives. She had epilepsy, and so she had never driven, and he was her caregiver and her, his, her uh, driver. So everywhere they went, he drove them. Well, when he passed away, she was essentially without transportation. Now, this was before Uber uh, ever happened and before a lot of the services that we even have now were available. So she really couldn't get out and about. And her biggest thing when she and I talked was she said, I miss having someone to eat with and I'm here by myself, so I can't even really go to a restaurant, right? Now, there are senior centers out there that will pick people up and take them to their meal sites and all of that. But here we are, think about COVID, right now, today, people do not have the ability to get out and about using a lot of these services. And so transportation is a big deal. I was just talking with somebody um, this last week, one of our regular attendees, and she had some surgery. And uh, as a result, she's not driving right now. And she has amazing networks. She has neighbors and friends and family, and they will take her places. But guess what? They aren't always available. Are, right, they're not always available. So she's having to, to look for resources. She contacted us and we were able to give her a couple of people who can do that for a fee. And she was able to take advantage of that. Um, our public transportation system is not adequate for this group of people that is gonna need transportation. It, it's great for maybe people who work and they go to the bus stop and they get on the bus and they go to work and they go home. It's not great for folks who have walkers or who have mobility issues and they need a wheelchair. So I, I'm just telling you, make plans 
for what you will do in the event that you need transportation. And remember, we're talking about living to 100. Some of you are going, I'm never going to quit driving. Well, statistically, mid-80s, things begin to happen with our eyes, with our reflexes, with our um, hand-eye coordination. Sometimes peripheral neuropathy sets in where we can't really feel what's going on with our feet. Um, I think I told this story last time. My Aunt Sylvia, who was in her 90s, I think 92, she literally went through a gated community to go see a friend. She punched in the code, you know, using the code thing on the side. And when she was doing that, her car took off and went through the gate, hit the guard shack thing, and then hit two houses before she finally stopped. She took out the corner of two people's garages. Thank goodness it was their garages on the inside where she hit. Totaled her car. Fortunately, she wasn't injured terribly, but she was injured enough that she required rehab and things like that. It was, essentially, it was the thing that, that caused her to have to make a move. Um, because my uncle, who was her caregiver at the time, uh, essentially said, you cannot drive anymore. Um, she thinks that her foot slipped off the gas, and, or the brake, and hit the gas and got stuck. That's her theory. Um, the other theory, the doctor says she, they think she may have had some neuropathy and she couldn't feel where she had her foot. And so we don't know for sure, but nonetheless, transportation is an issue. Okay. Healthcare advocacy. Um, let's talk about that. COVID has definitely shown a really bright light on this issue. When people were going into the hospital, leaving family at the door or even in the car, and not able to have someone standing by them as they checked in, got admitted, went to emergency to be assessed, and then if they were admitted to the hospital, to have somebody there to talk with the doctors and nurses to find out what the process is going to be, what the treatment looks like, what the potential prognosis is. Now, if you're sick and you don't feel good, heaven forbid you're on anesthesia, and in this case, many people on ventilators, who is advocating for you? Who's doing it? And how are they doing it? Do they have the legal authority to do it? We've talked about this in uh, multiple seminars. I mean, I, I can count probably a dozen seminars that we've done over the last five years where we've talked about having your paperwork in place. And yet, during the course of this COVID crisis, how many people did not have a healthcare proxy in place to go in and advocate on their behalf. It's, it's tragic in many ways. Um, so the healthcare advocacy thing is not going to get better as you get older. It's going to get harder. And so I want you to think fast forward, okay? So you're in your 80s now. Um, you'll be in your 90s in 10 years. How old are the people that you have designated your current care to? Are they friends in your age group? Are they family members uh, that are maybe your kids even who maybe have health issues of their own? Are they people who maybe have moved out of state? Um, you have to ask yourself, is this going to be good enough for the future? 
And it's not something that you just do it and it's done forever. It's something that has to be reevaluated, um, reassessed, and ask yourself, you know, is my, is my oldest son or daughter the right person to be talking to my doctor? And they may be the right person to be talking to your attorney, or they may be the right person to be doing your bills, but are they the right person to be bringing you your pajamas at the hospital, right? So I, I don't want to be, I hate to be gender uh, specific about this, but I'm going to because there's plenty of studies out there that show most caregivers for healthcare are female. Now in our family, thank God for Chris and Andrea because they're the, they're the nurturers in our family. I'm not a great caregiver at that level. I'm a great doer. Tell me what to do, I'll go do it. But I don't have a great bedside manner. I'm sure some of you are saying that's no surprise. That's fine. But you have to ask yourself who's the best person? And then who's their backup and who's their backup? And in 10 years, who is going to be their backup? But don't wait 10 years to decide that. Okay. Third one, financial exploitation. Ugh. I just, when I made this slide, I first put just financial, and then I added the word exploitation. Because we already know financial is an issue, the fear of not having enough money. I'm not talking about that here. What I'm talking about is scams. Uh, I'm talking about um, people who need loans in your family and you loan them money and you never get it back, and then now you're short because you lived longer than you thought you would. Um, some people have more money than they'll ever need, right? You'll, you're great, you've got significant savings, you're set, but there's an awful lot of people out there who are in that middle category where they, they're just on the cusp of having what they need. And you've got adult children who come in and say, well, gosh, I, you know, I lost my business. I need a loan. I got divorced. I need a house. Uh, my car broke down. Can you help me out? And what happens is people have a tendency to want to be kind and generous and help out. And then when they have a, a health crisis or a problem, they don't have the money. I'm not saying don't help. I'm saying be aware. But then beyond that, guys, the scam thing is real. And let me just kind of share with you a couple of stories that I've heard about recently. Uh, this one hits home, it's family. Uh, I have a great aunt that lives down in McKinney, Texas. And I was having lunch with my uncle the other day who lives here in Oklahoma and he, I asked about her, how's she doing? And he said, not, not good, not good at all. And I said, what happened? He said, well, she's broke. I said, broke? I said, they had plenty of money. like." He was like, he's passed away, her husband, but he was, did, did well. And he said, yep. He said, but uh, she got caught up in a scam and they basically drained her bank account. And all she has is her house and it's paid for, thankfully, but she took out a reverse mortgage recently because she needed money to work off of on a month to month basis. And now she's maxed out the reverse mortgage and so she called him and asked him if she could borrow $6,000. And he lent it to her. And he said, it's a loan. And he said, I need it back. And she said, okay. He said, but I don't think I'll ever see it, Nikki. He said, I think that uh, she is in bad enough shape that she's not gonna be able to return that money to me. That's happening all across the country. 
Um, there are folks right now that are hiding this from other people. Let me just be honest with you. People don't talk about this. When you get scammed, it's embarrassing. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that they gave their money to some stranger and now they're struggling. Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's happening. And it's happening because we're not talking about it. It's happening because the same thing happened to this person that happened to this person that happened to this person because nobody warned anybody about it because they're embarrassed. They feel ashamed. They feel whatever they feel. And so the financial exploitation, I'm going to point this out, and a lot of people aren't going to like it, and that's okay. You can be mad at me if you want to, but the numbers don't lie. After age 80, for whatever reason, the part of the brain that handles executive functioning, decision-making, begins to change. It can begin to deteriorate, shrink, which means when you made really good decisions in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all of a sudden you're making those same decisions, but you're making it with a different brain, literally. And they don't know why this happens, and it doesn't happen to everybody. Um, they're trying to figure it out, but it changes. And so you add that, let me just kind of add on to the pain of this. If you're female currently in your 70s, 80s, 90s, and you didn't live in the business world, that wasn't your forte anyway, and your spouse did it or someone else handled it, and now you've been doing it and you've been managing it well and you've learned it and you're handling it. If your cognitive executive functioning begins to deteriorate, your decision making won't be as good, which means you need some other eyes on that. It doesn't mean you have to delegate everything. It doesn't mean you can't handle your own bills. It just means if someone calls you and says, hi, I'm OG&E. And if you don't pay me $600 right now, we're going to cut your electric off. And you give them $600 and you do that enough times, guess what? You get put on a list. Those scammers work together. And if you can give OG&E $600 that wasn't OG&E, it was some guy in a basement up in wherever, then you're going to get a call from somebody else and somebody else and somebody else and you continue to give that money thinking you're making a good decision, thinking you're keeping your gas or electric on and really what you're doing is you're paying the bills for some guy in a basement. Or by the way, I think frankly there's probably call center looking places that have people doing this for a living as a job. So I'm just saying the financial exploitation can be family, it can be friends, it can be somebody you know, and it often is. It can be a paid caregiver that you have hired and built trust with and gave them your checkbook and all of a sudden your bank account is empty and they're gone. It can be a lot of things. And that all has to do with that executive functioning in our brain. So if we're in our 80s and we're gonna live to be 100, right? then that isn't going to improve over time, it's going to deteriorate over time. So who is your backup? Okay, who, who has your back? Uh, I'll bring up a couple of quick things I thought of when I was thinking about this particular topic. Uh, I talked to, uh, or Shannon talked to John, um, John Branscombe with uh, 
guardian angel elder care services. He was our sponsor last year. Great guy. He's the guy who says his job is to get between the greedy and the goodies. He said the reason he didn't come back to sponsor this year is he is literally slammed right now. He has more business than he can handle and he's juggling uh, because there are so many people that need what he does. And I'm thankful for that because he, I trust, he's good. He's, he's, he's a guy that is going to be around and take good care of people. I'm not so sure about some of the other services out there. I don't know. But you have to be prudent uh, in who you give that responsibility to. And, and it doesn't hurt to have uh, a third set of eyes to hold that person accountable as well. All right, let's go to the, uh, to the fourth one on this side. So it's physical abuse and neglect. Physical abuse and neglect. Uh, statistically speaking, physical abuse is usually inflicted upon people by a family member, um, sadly. Um, and sometimes it has to do with caregiver fatigue, uh, burnout. They just, they're just frustrated. Um, they don't know how to handle what they're dealing with and they lash out or they do things uh, abruptly, maybe not even intentionally, but it turns out to be a problem. Uh, neglect is simply just people just disappear. There, there is nobody to care for someone or the people who could care for them don't even know what's going on. They haven't been back to visit mom or dad or aunt or uncle in years and they get there to realize that they've been living in uh, terrible circumstances. So our adult protective services uh, here at the Oklahoma Health Department is on, they're on overtime. They're, they are working around the clock with the resources they have to try to help people who are dealing with this. And they don't have enough, they don't have enough people, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough budget to go on all the calls that they get about this issue. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, for those who plan to live to be 100, you might very well outlive a lot of your support system, right? And the folks who are engaged in financial exploitation, who might be abusive or neglectful, of people, they have a tendency to target people who are in their later years who don't have a support system, right? They're easy targets. And so, um, you know, physical abuse can also happen at a, uh, at a healthcare setting. It can happen in long-term care. It can happen in, uh, in a senior community setting. And so when I, when I bring this up, here's what I would say to you. A lot of the folks who are being abused don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to bring it up. They, they're afraid it will increase the problem. It will make it worse. So they don't tell anybody. And if you're in a, a community setting or you know someone who is, we have ombudsmen who work for the state as volunteers. Uh, it's a huge group of volunteers that will go in and they will, they will assess the complaint and then they will figure out how to deal with it, whether to liaise with the community or uh, if the authorities need to be contacted, they can help people do that. There are resources for that, but what I found is that people, as they reach their later years, they have a tendency to keep that under wraps and not talk about it. So I think we need to bring that out in the open. 
We need to be sharing it. We need to be reporting people who are doing it. And we need to be following through with making sure that they don't get jobs in places where they can do it again. So keep that kind of on the top of your radar, okay? All right, let's switch over to the next slide. Isolation and loneliness. So sadly, when I talk about topics like uh, abuse that can happen in senior communities, people go, well, I'm never going to move to one of those places. I'm just going to stay at home. That'll keep me from having those problems. Well, guess what? You have different problems when you live alone or you choose not to live in a community setting. And isolation and loneliness is one of them. Um, not that that can't happen in a community setting. I'm just saying it happens a lot when people are living at home alone. And we don't think this will happen to us, but then here comes COVID, right? And when uh, I was talking with my aunt who lives out about 50 miles from here out in Geary, and she had a, um, a resident there in Geary who lived there her whole entire life um, in her own home, uh, now into her 90s, was doing fine, still driving. Uh, she'd go to church on Sundays. She'd go to the senior center during the week. She had volunteer activities that she did on a regular basis, and she was active. I mean, she was, you know, she got around. When COVID happened, she wasn't able to do that anymore. The church stopped having services. The senior center closed, and the volunteer stuff stopped. So her activity level went from three, four times a week, seeing people and doing things to nothing. And in a period of time, I'm, I don't know exactly, but let's say six months or so, she started showing signs of dementia, which she had never shown before. Um, she was more frail, not able to get around as well. And it, it, is, a, it is literally affecting people's health physical health when they are isolated and lonely. Um, this happens in communities too. And this is one of the things that the senior communities that locked down, if you want to call it that, locked down during COVID, as soon as they saw the light at the end of the tunnel as a way to get people out of their apartments and doing things, they did it. There were hallway bingo <laughs> where people were sitting in their doorway with their bingo cards and there was somebody in the hallway doing the bingo because they didn't want people staying in their rooms. They wanted them to be able to see each other, even if it was from the doorway of their apartment. They were, they were piping in uh, exercise videos into their television sets through their closed circuit TV, whatever they call that, where they could pipe in for their residents. They were doing everything they could because they know that isolation and loneliness is only going to cause people to have problems. Parkinson's, folks with Parkinson's, uh, I, I know that you're struggling because you haven't been able to get to your exercise groups like you normally do. And so you have to figure out a way to do that on your own. And when you live alone, you're less accountable to do that stuff. You just are. I know I am. If Chris is not participating with me in any kind of physical activity regimen, I'm not likely going to do it. It just, we have to have accountability in our lives. Um, the next one on the list is access to services. As we get older, interestingly enough, technology is not always our friend. Right. Um, 
and access to services these days is becoming more and more reliant on technology. I mean, look, today, in order for you to participate in this event, you had to get on a computer, a phone, a tablet to be able to hear this talk because of what we're dealing with with COVID. But beyond that, I called, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I called Walgreens because uh, while I was on vacation, I had prescriptions that automatically refilled and they, they'd been sitting there a while. They had called to remind me and I haven't picked them up. So I thought, well, I better call and make sure that they haven't restocked those before I run by there and pick them up. And I called and it was a new system, different than before. Normally I could hit a number and it would give me the pharmacy and I could talk with someone. I tried several different things and tried to redial and all this. I still didn't get through to a person and it wanted my phone number. So I gave it my phone number. It didn't recognize my phone number. And I thought, well, it's a good thing I'm not sick or don't feel good because this is one of those things that makes me want to drive through the drive through at Walgreens, not through the drive through itself, but through the brick wall because it makes me crazy. Now, fast forward. You're 85, you're 90, you're living alone, you're having to access, whether it's pharmaceutical services, whether it's your social security, whether it's Medicare, whatever it is that is a big service, healthcare of any kind, is almost all gonna be technology driven. So if you're currently not using technology at a high level, you're gonna have to, or you're gonna have to have somebody who can, who is your support person. Now let's circle back to the financial exploitation thing. You go out and you hire somebody to help you with the technology who now has access to all of your information. It is a vicious circle. So access to services goes beyond technology just to how much availability is there going to be. There is already a waiting list miles long for some of the services for low income folks, okay? Um, if people qualify for uh, what they call the Medicare Advantage program, um, which is in-home care paid for by Medicare, rather than having to go into senior living, uh, they, they can't find enough people to work to fill all of the slots for the folks who need that. So we may say, well, gosh, there's lots of services out there, but access to those services may not be as easy as we think. And if you're in your 70s or 80s now, and you're living into your 90s and beyond, and you saw the numbers, you aren't the only one looking for that service. So the access to services is gonna get harder. And so the more you know about what's out there, the better, and the better you are with technology also the better. So take a class. Go go talk to somebody. I know Spanish Cove, Kathleen's here. <laughs> you guys don't know this, but Kathleen uh, is uh, with Spanish Cove and she's here shadowing Chris while we're videoing this event because she wants to learn the technology so that they can go back and do this at Spanish Cove. And she's also the person that if at Spanish Cove you need a laptop or a, or a note, net, uh, what my calendar I'd call it, a notebook or a cell phone, She'll sit down with you and help you order it and put it together and get it set up. So there are people out there that do that kind of thing, but you have to be able to locate them if you don't live in a community setting, right? You have to be able to find them, the geek squad and things like that. 
Um, yeah, I could go on and on for days, but we need to move on. So, uh, cost of uh, affordable, accessible housing. So, affordable, accessible housing. This is our wheelhouse. This is what we do for a living. We help people find a house or apartments or places to live, and we help move them there. And I'm telling you guys, we have a problem. We have a problem. Um, we have, right now, senior communities have availability. Right now, new 55 and older uh, neighborhoods are being built, and they have availability. And people are waiting to move, okay? So I know a lot of you are waiting to move. Matter of fact, some of you have told me, Nikki, I'm going to move in three years or five years. Well, my hope is that in three or five years, there'll be some place to move. Because everybody that's waiting is going to be all at one time looking for that perfect house or that perfect apartment. Now let's add the affordability piece to that and the accessibility piece because the affordability, um, if you have the means, you have more options, right? The more money you have, the more options you have, ideally. Those, are, those folks in that middle category who have some money but not enough for all the options is where there's going to be a huge shortage because the majority of people are going to need those options. Now, what happens with supply and demand is the more demand there is, the supply is reduced, which means prices go up and affordability goes down. So keep that in mind. You're waiting five years. You can't be using today's pricing to budget, right? You got to be using that pricing to budget. We don't know what it's going to be. We really don't know what it's going to be. The accessibility part, uh, I, I was thinking in my mind, like um, wheelchair accessible, mobility accessibility. Fewer and fewer and fewer developers are paying attention to that. I would think it would be the opposite way of, of, of thinking of it. But because it's cheaper to build a product for the masses, that's what they do. So you go to a community and they say it's 55 and older and you go, really? Like, what are all these steps? And why are the doorways not wide? And it, it's because they're calling it 55 and older because of the designation through the HOPA, HOPA Act, which is the Housing for Older Persons. But it doesn't mean that they built it. There are no requirements that they build it with accessibility features. That is not part of the deal. Okay. It's specifically demographically, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? They look at the demographics that you are going to have moving there, the age, and that's how they determine if you get approved or qualify for HOPA, not whether or not your product is suitable for them. Okay. So cost of care is the last one uh, on this list. And I've talked about cost of housing, but think about cost of care in its totality. So right now, uh, the cost of bringing care into your home is for personal needs, like for helping you with meal prep or like housekeeping or um, bathing, dressing, some of the things that people need like after surgery or during rehab, is about $20 to $22 an hour here in Oklahoma on average depending on the level of uh, training they have. And so think about the exponential increase we're going to see there. And what, what occurs to me is right now we have a huge shortage of workers, 
it's, it's not just the cost, it's there aren't enough people out there to serve the need, right? So what happens is they're going to say, well, gosh, we need to make more money. And we're going to have to pay people more to do this job, which means they're going to go from paying them $10 an hour to paying them $15 an hour. Well, where do you think that $5 is going to go? It's not coming from the owner of that business. It's going to be added to the rate that they're going to charge you. So we're going to go from 20 to 22 an hour to 25 to 28 an hour or something like that. You just don't know what that's going to do over time, but you got to budget that because if we're going to live to be 100, think about this for a second, we're beyond, and we're going to stay in our own home. And our caregiver support is now limited because our pool of people that normally would help us, neighbors, friends, family, have also aged, we're now having to hire people, are we prepared to do that? And it's not just the cost, it's being able to do that. So lots of things involved in that. So I hate to bring it up, but you have to be thinking about it, right? You have to be thinking about it. Okay, last slide uh, of significance. I have a couple of fun little quotes, but uh, how and where we die, how and where we die. Um, this comes up when you start looking at the people who have lived to be 100 and or beyond. Like there's plenty of people out there and they're 105, 106, 108. Um, I think the, the oldest living person now is 117, I believe, in um, Japan. I had a picture and I forgot to put it on the slide. But um, she had her recently had her her birthday and she plans to live to 120 that's her goal she does live in a senior community not in a nursing home and she's active every day she exercises uh, she drinks coke that's her thing um, so uh, so this is somebody who um, you know you think 117 years old right my goal is 120, by the way. And, but I only want to live to 120 if I can be active, right, like anybody else. Okay, so here's why I brought this slide up. Once you have reached about 80 to 85 years old and you are healthy, otherwise healthy, so you, haven't, you don't have heart problems, you haven't had a stroke, you don't have a deterioration of, of your bodily functions due to an illness, you're, you haven't had cancer, you haven't died of any of these things, chances are you will live healthy into your later years. You won't develop cancer necessarily after that point. Here's what they say you die of. People 100 or older die of pneumonia or some other infection, okay? But pneumonia is the big one. And more so than younger people in their 70s and 80s, they will die of pneumonia. Now, here's what happens. I want you to think about the, the circumstances around that. You're at home. You've managed to live comfortably at home, wherever home is, whether it's at a senior community or your house or with your kids. And, uh, and it's winter time and you start not feeling good and you got a little cough and, uh, and it, it, it turns in, it's pneumonia. You've got pneumonia. Doctor tries to treat it. Um, it's not going away. You're 102. And they say, well, you need to go to the emergency room. So you go to the emergency room. Well, they say, well, we need to admit you. So they admit you to the hospital and they begin to treat the pneumonia. People die in the hospital 
with pneumonia, even when they're being treated for it. And those same people will tell you, and their paperwork even sometimes tells you, that they want to die at home surrounded by their family and friends. So why are the majority of those people dying? They did a study in the UK uh, about the majority of people in that, uh, in that demographic die in a hospital. And it's because nobody talked about those final days. Nobody talked about it. Nobody said, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, if you get pneumonia now that you're 105, do you want us to take you to the hospital and treat it, or are you ready to go? It's up to you. And so what happens is the system takes charge, because that's what we have is a system that takes charge, and they treat you, or they don't, or they, they, they try to treat you and it doesn't help. And so the health care cost at the end of life in the hospital for people over 100 is largely due to end-of-life issues. They may keep you on life support for six months or three months or a week. It depends. So the question is, once you've reached 100 or beyond, what do you want your end-of-life to be? Last time I checked, and we asked this at the 2019 talk that I did, does anybody know someone who's lived forever? And nobody raised their hand. So as far as I know, that hasn't changed, that we are all going to meet our maker. We're all going to come to an end of our physical being. So how do we want that to look? And so there are some things that uh, I'm going to go over that are some action steps here in terms of what you can do to prepare for that. But before, let's look at this fun little um, little cartoon. This, this is going to be Layla, right? My little granddaughter who's eight now. You know, my teacher says little girls can grow up to be anything they choose. Why did you choose to be an old lady? And that'll be me, right? Well, guess what? We are all getting older. We are all going to reach old age, right? We're all going to have the physical symptoms of what getting older looks like. So how are some things, uh, what are some things we can do to prepare for living into those later years, 100 and beyond, but not just 100 and beyond, right? So the first thing is surround yourself with a community. Um, you know, we have the beautiful thing here in Oklahoma is we have lots and lots of groups that people can join. Um, we have churches, we have support groups, we have uh, wellness centers, we have senior living communities. We also have our, one of our sponsors is Villages OKC, which is growing by leaps and bounds with people who want a community of like-minded people to hang out with, um, to learn with, to gather with, to keep, uh, to check in on, uh, all of those things. So there is no reason why you shouldn't be surrounding yourself with community. And as you lose people in your life, whether they move away or pass on, you've got to replace those people. Um, otherwise, you end up looking around and your community of people has dwindled to just you. Uh, you got to get your updated legal documents completed. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done over the last five years is we've offered up some of the attorneys that we are in relationship with who have done reviews of people's legal documents. And if you don't have legal documents, then they're, they'll draw them up for you. Obviously, there are fees involved in that. But you have to look at what 
do I need to have in place legally to make sure my wishes are met? Okay, and it's better to do that while you are healthy and while you're thinking clearly, not once a crisis happens or a health event happens. Um, the third one, understand your housing options. Again, that's one of the things we've been doing is we've been doing not just seminars on that topic, but we take you to senior communities to let you look around and get a feel for what they are. Not because we think you need to move there now, but because if you ever chose to do that, we don't want you to go in from and have to figure that out when you're ready to do it, right? Have that information in advance. Know your health care rights, right? Really know that if you're in your 80s and you go in and you're going to have surgery, know what your rights are. If you're 100, guess what? You're less likely to get that surgery, but you know what? You're less likely to maybe want it. So if they try to give you surgery and you don't want it, know what your rights are. If you want the surgery and they don't want to give it to you, know what your rights are. Um, take charge of that. Um, review your financials. I can't stress that enough. Uh, many of the people we go out to meet with uh, and look at you know, what their house is worth and talk with them about what their options are, uh, they know that they have some money, but they don't really know how much or how long that's going to stretch. Uh, and so that's a good thing to know. Um, we give you the value on your house. They can plug that into the equation, and that helps well-rounded, kind of give you a well-rounded outlook. And then the last one on here is plan for the what ifs. The what ifs. Um, what if your caregiver currently, who may be a son or a daughter or niece or nephew or granddaughter, moves out of state? Who's your backup? What if you have a health event and you can't drive for a while? Who is your backup, right? Kind of ask yourself, go through the, the motions of what if this or what if that, not to scare yourself, but to create a plan so that you have peace of mind that if that happens, you've got it covered and you're not having to do that at the last minute. This was a great quote. I really liked it. Um, Inside every older person is a younger person wondering what happened, <laughs> right? Do you ever look at pictures and go, huh, what, what happened? You look in the mirror, right? And uh, we all do that, right? But we all see ourselves young. We all see ourselves in our 20s or our 30s or our 40s. And then guess what? You know, life happens. <sighs> okay. So just a quick recap. Many of us are going to live to be 100. Wrap your head around that. If you don't want to live to be 100, give me a call. I'll give you all the things you can do to stop living to be 100. There's lots of things you can do. But we don't want you to do that. We'd rather you live your best life all the way through to the end, whatever age that is. So um, we know that there are fears that you have. We know that that's why you come to our seminars is because sometimes we can answer those questions that help alleviate those fears, and we're glad for that. Um, we also know there are obstacles which is why we and our sponsors provide resources and we're constantly looking for other resources so that we can give those to you when you need them, hopefully in advance, but not always. Um, and so at the end of the day, be prepared. And our goal this year is to provide you with seminars that will help you to do that. Uh, for those people who have asked, and I've had several people ask me this, uh, how do I watch these replays or listen to them after the fact? There are several different ways. 
Um, and Naomi is really great about walking people through these if you need help. But you can listen to them by podcast, which is simply an app on your phone. Uh, Apple has one. There's lots of different ones. And you can search for Senior Living Truth Series. And it, all you're doing is you're listening to the audio part of this talk. Um, the other thing you can do is go to the website, the SeniorLivingTruthSeries.com website, the one that you go to register on, and we have the videos there. And we also have a Facebook page, um, and we don't really post those there much because a lot of people aren't on there, but if people want us to post them there, we certainly can if that's where you would rather access them. A uh, couple of quick things I want to let people know that are going on outside of the Truth Series. Um, some of you have already received some notice about this. Uh, we call it the Downsizers Club. And uh, these, this picture is a group of people that we consider graduates. They're alumni of our, of our Downsizing Club. These are people who have moved out of a bigger house into a smaller one. Some have moved to senior communities. Uh, some have moved into cottages or garden homes. Some have moved out of independent living into assisted. What they all have in common is that they've lived someplace for a long time that's bigger, and they're moving into someplace new that's smaller, and they need a little help with that. And so that's what we do for a living, and so that's what we call our Downsizers Club. It's new this year. Um, we actually are officially kind of making it a club and we're so excited. We have, I think, four or five members so far that have signed up and we're going to do monthly calls that are a little different than these types of calls. These are going to be more interactive Q&A. Uh, what are your issues? How do we help you with those? Um, and then we're also providing as a part of that club some of those consultations that we mentioned in the seminar. So we're, help, we're going to help connect you with a financial planner, with um, attorneys, with move managers, with estate liquidators, with the people that can answer those specific questions. That And some of them are private. We don't need to know about your finances. We don't need to know about your legal decisions but you need to have somebody you trust to do that. So we're gonna arrange for all those things. Um, it comes with our Downsizing Made Easy book, our uh, Move Management Workbook. Um, we're gonna be having some guest speakers that are gonna be talking to the group. So it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh, we're excited about it. As soon as people are ready, we're gonna start meeting monthly in person. But right now we're going to be doing it virtually for January. So if you'd like to join that, talk to Naomi. Uh, when you get your survey this month, you'll have an option of checking the box to say that you'd like to know more about it or you'd like to join. Um, I talked about this last month, and it starts this Saturday, the one I'm leading, uh, the gift. This is offered through Villages OKC. Uh, this is not our product. I'm just facilitating one of their workshops. And this was really the brainchild of Marilyn Olson uh, with Villages and then Julie Davis at Concordia. They worked together to create this curriculum. And you all heard Marilyn talk a couple different times on panels where she had been the caregiver for her uncle and then again for someone else in her life, plus her mom who lived with her into her hundreds. And Marilyn had the foresight to create these binders that had all the information. It was like an operations manual for that person. 
And it's just, it's brilliant. And so what we're doing in these workshops is helping people create that manual for themselves or for someone else if you, if you choose to do that. But like for me, I'm going to create my own so that if something happened to me, Chris would have it or my kids would have it and, and they could look at that manual and say, okay, well, what pajamas would mom want if she has to go to the hospital, right? Um, what are the things that would be important to her if we had to take care of her home while she was away? What are the things that are, what are her passwords? If we needed to go in and check her email, how would we do that? So it's not just financial and legal stuff, it's personal stuff. So I'm really excited about it. Um, we're gonna have some deep conversations. We're gonna do some troubleshooting. Um, so you can sign up for that through the Villages. Uh, it's $199, but you get a year membership with the Villages, which is amazing, because it's less than their membership fee. So. Think about that. If you still want to register, you can do mine, which starts on Saturday. But we also have other ones going on. I know Rebecca up in Edmond, with, uh, she's a financial planner. She's doing one. And there'll be others going on throughout the year. OK. Last slide, for those of you hanging in there. Next month, February 11th, uh, 10 o'clock, same time, same place, at Quail Creek Golf and Country Club and video. We're going to be doing the truth about, I'm sorry, aging in the right place, the truth about senior living options. Now, here's going to be the difference. Some of you say, well, I've been to that one. Yep, you have, but you haven't been to this one. And what we're going to be talking about is some of the things that senior communities have learned through COVID, which have kind of changed the way senior living communities are are doing things. We're going to we're going to hopefully hear from them the successes, but also some of the failures um, of the system and how we can maybe the next time do it better. But most importantly for you, if you're going to be touring senior communities going forward, there are some new questions you should be asking, right? There's some things that none of us thought of before this that we all should be thinking of now. And so I'm hoping that uh, you come with some questions. We're going to open it up to Q&A. Obviously, on a live event, that's much easier to do. If you're going to be watching uh, via video and you really don't want to use the chat function, which is fine. We're happy for you to do that if you want. But if you'd rather send your question in in advance, you can either give it to Naomi, uh, email it to her, uh, email it to me, or if she calls you and you're doing, she's giving you a reminder, you can say, hey, make sure they answer this question. And we're happy to, to field those questions. But we are going to talk about the options, what's out there, and then what's changed uh, over the last year or so. Um, I think that's it. Chris, do we have anything else? No? So one more thank you to our sponsors. Um, again, uh, these folks are, are tried and true and amazing. And uh, oh, I know what I was going to tell you about the sponsors. We're going to be doing little segments with them uh, where we talk about kind of uh, what, what makes them special and what they're kind of what they would like for you to know, not just about them, but about the uh, senior living process in, in its entirety. So be watching for that. Those will be short. We'll probably post those on Facebook as well as on the website, and then we'll show clips of them uh, along the way as we're doing the different seminars throughout the year. We're learning a lot about technology, you guys, and we've got some fun stuff coming, so we're glad you're joining us. Um, 
invite your friends, send them the links or have Naomi call them and get them registered, whatever the case may be. We want to make sure that uh, we're reaching as many people as we can. Guys, thanks for uh, spending time with us today and we'll see you next month. Call us if you need anything at all. Make it a great day.